you have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. You're listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey with your host, Tom Crea, and this show is for anyone who believes in continuous learning. Like you, my journey continues. Last week, we have the privilege of speaking with author Ken Gosnell about steward leadership in his upcoming 2020 book, Well Done. And we're going to continue that discussion in part two here today. And I got to tell you, along the way, I met Ken and he's helped me and inspired me to do a number of things. And I truly appreciate that. And that's why he is our one of our guests. And uh, I want you to know if you want to call in and ask Ken any questions, his number is 866, or excuse me, his number, the call in number is 866 So again, Ken is the servant leader of an organization that he founded called CEO Experience, and he serves company CEOs and leaders and help them to have great experiences and simply perform better. And well done are the words that drive any faith-driven business leader to strive for excellence in building their business and ordering their life. So I want to just uh, pick up where we left off in part one, and essentially it's the heart of his book, where he talks about steward leadership, and that's chapter five of, of 12 chapters, three parts in his book, and the first part is on proclamations, the second part is on parables, and the third part is on practices. So we're going to pick back up with chapter five, and Ken, if you would, let's get back into what does it mean to you to be a steward leader? Thank you, Tom, and I'm glad to be back with you today. You know, I grew up, and I'm sure many leaders today that's in the marketplace have talked a lot about and heard a lot about servant leadership, and of course, that's a very biblical principle. Uh, Robert Greenleaf wrote a wonderful book about that. Ken Blanchard talked about servant leadership, but as I read the uh, biblical business accounts, obviously, servant leadership is embedded in every aspect of leadership. But I actually saw it as a a little wider lens, and I like to call it steward leadership, uh, based out of the parable of the talents. And if you think about it, um, every steward leader is a servant leader, but not necessarily every servant leader is a steward leader. And to me, a steward leader basically uh, reflects the the concept or attitude that at some day I'm going to have to give up what I've been working at and pass it on to the next generation or the next person because I'll have another task to accomplish or complete, whether my life is complete or whether it's God's asking me to go and do something else. And so I need both servant leadership, but I need to have it in the attitude of steward leadership that I'm only serving for a period of time to prepare for uh, the next leader to follow me. All right, great. You know, what I want to do is I want to read a couple things that I've highlighted from your book, and uh, you define steward leader, and I want to read that definition and then also cite a uh, sentence that you have in your uh, in the book. It says, a steward leader is one who recognizes that God is the owner of the business, and that business owner is just a steward of the things under their care. 
At the end of the line, steward leaders will have to release everything under their care and have to give an account of all the decisions and choices that they made while they lead the business. I got to tell you, this is one of the things that was very uh, appealing and attractive to me when I first met you is like, oh, this is a great different concept. And I, and I really, um, it resonated with me. And then, so here's the line. Um, and I'll give you an opportunity to comment if you'd like. The, the line that I pulled out of your book says, stewardship is a shift to make decisions based on the ideas and concepts that one day every person will have to give account for all their decisions and actions and before the one who truly owns the business. Now, um, as we spoke about last week, I know your audience is mostly entrepreneurs and business owners, um, but you also ref uh, speak to next level leaders or, you know, anybody who's in, in the business as well. Um, so this audience is going to be mostly servant leaders and they could be at any level. So if you would apply that comment to the, any leader in the organization. Well, again, I think for me, it really was transformational. I, I think every leader needs to embrace this idea that, um, at some point, I'm going to have to give up this task that I'm working on. And I've worked on some pretty amazing tasks through my lifetime projects. I work for some great organizations. But um, realistically, and, and, you know, one of the mistakes that I made was I thought probably I had more time to do it than I, than I thought that what turned out to be the case. I, I kind of owned it. I kind of thought, well, I'll just stay here and I'll work for for many years, I'll end up doing, you know, even the projects, it might take a little bit longer than what was anticipated. But when I begin to think about this concept of steward leadership and that I needed to work as hard and as fast as today, that if this was the last day that I had to complete this project or the task, or if tomorrow I was going to be moved on to something else. I, when I worked in my own business and started it, I had to think about every day, if this was the last day of the business, how would I work? If I sold the business tomorrow, would it be ready to be sold? Would it be ready to be handed off to the next generation? Would it be ready to hand it off to another leader? And so it really just began to change every part of my landscape, of my the landscape of my thinking, when I began to understand that it really wasn't something that I owned and would own forever, it was really something that I was to do on a daily basis with the, with the uh, attitude or perspective that at any moment I could give an account for everything that I've done, right or wrong or indifferent, and I was ready to uh, be released to go do something else if that's what exactly that God had called me to do. And so I think for every entrepreneur, for every leader, for any person that runs an organization or runs a, an important project or task, this whole concept of stewardship is, is really a profound one because it, it takes the load off of saying that I own it. Rather, I'm just looking after it for a period of time and I better do my best at leading this in such a way that whenever I hand it off, the next person who follows me can say, wow, this is been done with excellence. It's been done um, with, you know, being thought out in every aspect and they were able to pick it up and move it um, maybe even to a new level because of their vision, but they don't have to go and redo a lot of the work potentially that I'd been done in the past. And I'll tell you how this applies for a lot of business owners, just real quick. Um, you know, when we go to sell a business and I've helped many business leaders uh, sell their company for, for various reasons, uh, some unexpectedly and some intentionally, but um, you know, what's interesting is there's many things in, the, in, in, in that period of time when they transition from running the business to selling the business that they say to themselves, and I, I hear it and I walk along with them, they say, well, I probably should have done that years ago, right? Or 
as I prepare for this business or I need to really start looking at some of my processes and documenting it or I need to you know move this person or that person or I need to hire this person or that person and you know the question keeps haunting me in many ways because it's like well, why didn't you do that years ago if you knew that that was something that you were supposed to do years ago how much better would your business have been over the last five or seven or 10 or 15 years, if you would have acted in that moment doing exactly what you knew you needed to do from a stewardship perspective, so that at this moment, your business could have been worth twice as much or three times as much or four times, or you could have had uh, even more uh, employees and a greater influence. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it. And so again, steward isn't necessarily, um, they only work with what's under their care. So if they don't have the means to do it, they can't do it. But if they have the means and the perspective to do it, then I say that steward leaders ought to do the things that they know that the master wants done. And in our case, for my case, part of that master is uh, God in heaven, who I believe owns all of our businesses. Yeah, that, that's that's really, uh, again, really resonated with me, and I really appreciate that, and I think it's fantastic. Now, look, because not everybody might be familiar with the parable of the talents, I could either read it because I have it in front of me, or would you like to summarize it? I'll leave it up to you. Sure, I'll summarize it. Um, it is one of my favorite uh, stories. So when I looked at the different business principles, I, I like some of the stories that Jesus told. And I think those stories relate a lot to business. And one of the most familiar stories is a story called the parable of the talent. And basically, what Jesus was trying to communicate was to his disciples is that they were going to be given a task, and that someday they were going to have to answer to God who comes back, or they were going to stand before him, and that he wanted them to answer with the words, well done, you're well done. So the parable goes where there's a business owner, or they call him a master in the Bible, but really it's a business owner. And he has three employees, they call them servants. And he gives each employee a different uh, bag of gold uh, related to, I believe, what the master thought their capability or capacity was. And so one's uh, employee gives five bags of gold and another employee gives two bags of gold and to the last employee gives one bag of gold and then it says that the master departed or the business owner departed on a long journey and went away from for, for a long period of time and in the period of time as the stewards worked, the guy with five bags we don't know exactly what he did but he doubled it so he had by the time the master returned he had ten bags the guy that had two bags he did worked and doubled it as well and he had four bags and the guy that had one bag, the parable tells us, or the story is, that he was so afraid of the master that he didn't want to lose the money that he had. And so he went and buried it in the, his backyard, basically, so that it would be ready when the master returned. Well, the story goes on that the master comes back. And sure enough, the first servant comes up and the master is pleased with his profit. He says, you've done a great job. And it really wasn't even about the number of bags, I believe. It was really about his attitude while he worked. And that he was trying to please the master with everything that he did. But the parable for simple purposes, the, the first servant doubled in. So the master, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, you know, enter into my kingdom, my master's happiness. Um, because you've done such great work, I'll even give you more. And, and so that's where we get that phrase, well done. And the same thing happens for the second servant. And then the third servant comes up and the master said, what did you do? And the third servant said, he buried his, uh, talent or buried his bag of gold in the ground and the master it says was frustrated and furious and matter of fact he was very angry with the servant and he says you wicked and lazy servant he said you could at least put it in the bank and made me a profit a little bit with that but basically you did nothing while I was away 
And that's the whole point of the parable. It was that the servant, um, out of fear, out of worry, whatever it was that was stopping him from working diligently, that the master was frust- frustrated. And then he basically got fired. The master says, depart from me, your evil and wicked servant. I never knew you. And, uh, and then he takes the one bag and gives it to the guy that has 10 bags now of gold. And, and it shows that the master is super pleased with the guy that produced the so, so amount of money. Now, this parable is not about works. It's not about we please, you know, in order to please God and God's more pleased with those people that have more profit. There, you know, some of, there's been some misinterpretations about this parable, but it does speak about an attitude of stewardship that everything that we have, we've been given for a period of time. And we've been given to use effectively as leaders. And I talk about leadership skills. I mean, certain leaders have great skills of vision and uh, encouragement. And every skill and every, everything under our care as a leader, we need to be using in a diligent way and in a way that reflects an honor to the master so that when we have to give it up at whatever time that is in our life, whether it's a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years, or even a 50-year business that we can say, and the master says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is really what the motivation for every leader should be, that they want to hear the words, well done, when they get to the end of their leadership journey. Yeah, I got to tell you, Ken, as a young boy, I, I would read the Bible and the Gospels in particular in, uh, because they were a source of inspiration, especially these parables. And, and this one always stood out with me. It's like, you know, at the end of the rainbow, am I going to be able to say that I applied and used the talents that I was given to the best of my ability? And um, for any faith-based person, whatever your um, faith is, that sure, I'm sure has to resonate with everyone. So you, uh, just to kind of paraphrase some of the things you said, you talked about it's a, a message about attitude. And in there, you also kind of uh, inferred that there's a little bit of risk taking that's involved. I mean, you can't just bury the money. You can't, you know, you could invest it and, you know, be safe. But the people who did the, the best were the ones who actually took a little risk. Is that right? That is right. And actually, I talk about um, that later in the book, under a different chapter, when I talk about uh, asking and dreaming big, but I do believe that uh, the idea of stewardship is even having courageous risk. Now we do it in light of uh, does it please the master? Is the master? Because I don't think that the master, uh, and even as a business owner myself, when I think about employees, I want them to take good risks, smart risks. That as long as they're trying to please me when they're serving the customer, when they're trying to do something that builds and enhances the brand, um, and as leaders, we've got to take risk. I believe that sometimes us as business leaders, we play too small because we're afraid to take those big risks that um, God might be asking us to do with our businesses. And, you know, what I would say is that companies that are um, focused on do they pivot? Do they take the right risk? Are they courageous? Are the ones that actually uh, build bigger brands and bigger companies today? Uh, Amazon did not become the company that it was today without taking some significant risk. Chick-fil-A uh, takes risk. I mean, Hobby Lobby takes risk. There's different companies that take risk. And most small business owners, were afraid. Our entrepreneurs are sometimes afraid to take the necessary risk in order to build their business the most effectively. Well, look, that, that reminds me of something else that you talked about last week. I don't know if you mentioned this week, and hopefully I don't have my wires crossed, but I want you to kind of go back to this concept of, you know, when you're taking a risk, 
it's always nice if you have somebody on your side. And I believe last week you spoke about how these owners that you work with, when they realize that they're the, the steward and not the owner and that they're the overseer of what's been giving them, they have this big burden lifted off their shoulders. If you would speak to that again, please. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the very first questions that I ask most CEOs and business owners is, uh, do you own the business? And, uh, you know, it's a pretty simple question. And most business owners uh, think, well, yeah, I own this business. I bought it. I work for it. I'm a self-made person. And, but what I find is that when we really unpack that question, do you own it? Um, and we understand that God is the owner of all things. The Bible tells us that God owns the heavens and the earth. And so what I would say is really he is the owner of our business. He's the owner of our possessions. And he gifts us those. He gives them to us to be used in an effective way. And the better we use them, the more honor that we bring to them. So when I enter into a conversation, I say, well, you know, you don't really own the business. Right now, really, you're just leading the business or you're running the business. I mean, you may own it uh, according to the documentation, but God owns it. And do you agree with that? And when they say, yeah, I really believe that God owns it. I really don't own it. I, I released it to God. I see this shift that takes place in these leaders. I mean, it's like this heavy burden is totally lifted off of them because all of a sudden now they don't have to go to make every decision. They don't, they're not responsible for every single thing that happens in the business. God is. They're simply a steward that's running and leading that business effectively, kind of like an appointed president. And what they need to think about is, would God be pleased with this decision? Would he be pleased with my effort? Would he be pleased with my attitude? Am I running it in such a way that if God was the true owner of the business, if he was the chairman of my board, if you will, and he could look into my business and he would say, well done. And, and for the business owner, that's a relief because now we can cast our burdens onto God. He can, he can help us to make decisions. And if he says, go do something or take this risk, and we believe in prayer and through the counsel of others and listening to other people and we can hear his voice, that we should take that risk, then all of a sudden it releases us to go make that make that decision. Let me give you one another example for me personally. So I used to have a hard time. I love people. Uh, I'm a trainer by nature. I believe in coaching people and training people. And part of the, there's a positive side to that. But for a negative side for me is that I believe that I could have kind of saved anyone, that anybody that had issues in my organization or any, any employee um, that I could fix. And, you know, God revealed to me over a period of time that uh, again, I wasn't owning it. They weren't my employees. They were his employees. And mm -hmm. my job was to just steward them. And when I recognized that, if I said to myself, it's a bad stewardship for this person to be in a job that they're failing at, right? That I'm going to give an answer for that at some point. All of a sudden, it, it motivated me to begin to help put that person in the right place or have those difficult conversations that I needed to have, or sometimes even let them go and release them. I had a guy that I had to let go. And again, that's the hardest thing for a business owner to have to deal with from time to time. But he actually, after he was released, he called me and thanked me for the way that I let him go. And he recognized that he wasn't succeeding in the job that we had him at. And mm -hmm. he needed that nudge in order to go find the new thing that, that he knew that he was called for, destined to. And so, you know, it, when we have the stewardship perspective, it changes everything in our life if we'll let it. And I believe that's when we were, were released to go do great things for God and for and building our business because we have the right perspective that we've let God control it. We've just worked diligently in it. 
Oh, you said a lot there, and I'm going to try to unpack it. So <laughs> some of the things that you, you talked about, which, uh, which you also talk about in later chapters in his book, um, he talked about empathy and developing others. And, and I want to share as well on, on letting someone go. You know, I think one of the biggest things that everybody wants is they want an honest assessment of where they are, whether or not they're fit in the organization. And for you to treat them, of course, like everybody wants to be treated with dignity and respect. And so if somebody's just not a right fit, and, and as you're, if you try to help them, move on to something bigger and better for them. You know, at first, maybe they don't appreciate it, but in the long run, they absolutely do appreciate it. And, and the other thing that I would tell you when, um, when Ken was talking about getting that burden relief from your relief, the burden um, relief from your shoulders, sorry. Um, the, uh, when I remember sometimes when I was in a number two position, if you will, that it was just, I felt like I could take more risk um, because I had a boss who was checking on me. And then when I was the boss, it was a little more difficult because I had to, I, I wasn't applying that stewardship mentality. Look, I could talk about this chapter forever, um, but we need to, you know, expose you to some more parts of his book. But one more thing on chapter five on the servant, excuse me, the steward leader. Ken has this, uh, another passage in there, and I'm sure it'll resonate with him when I read it to you. It comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. And he referred to this earlier, uh, and I'll let him pick it up after I finish. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, there's another parable in the Bible where it talks about, what uh, it's called the bigger barn parable. And basically, this guy had a blessing. And so his idea was to build bigger barns and to, you know, take more of the blessings and set it aside for himself. And the parable goes on that he dies that night and stands before God. And again, it's a reminder, I believe, from the parable of the, the another version of the parable of the talents that we're stewards, that he was given this opportunity and, and um, to lead his business. It wasn't forever. He was thinking he was going to stay there. He was going to be able to enjoy the bigger barns. He was going to have had this plan to build bigger barns. He was going to be able to use this blessing for many, many years. But God's plan was different than his plan. And in a moment's notice, just like that, the, his job was done. His task was complete. Um, he, was brought, he was brought before his maker. And uh, in that particular parable, I believe that he didn't succeed because of the perspective that he didn't ask the owner what the owner wanted. He said to himself, it says in that passage, I'll build bigger barns. I'll do this. I'm, I'll look at over this. I'll oversee this. And he believed that he was in charge rather than recognizing that God was the one that brought the blessing and God was the one that had the plan for the blessing. And I believe that he would have succeeded at Well Done, even if he went to heaven that night, if he would have paused before he built the bigger barns and he said, I will consider what my master wants or I will consider what God wants or the owner wants. Um, and, and let me entertain what, what, the, what the owner would have me to do with this blessing that we've received. I mean, maybe the blessing was to give all that access to the poor. Maybe that blessing was to, to build the bigger barns, but then was to, to sell it so that he could, you know, build something for the community or do something in a more significant way. But the point of the parable was he never even asked. He never thought about what the master wanted. He only thought about what he wanted. And I think that's the biggest mistake that leaders make. Leaders, when they only start to think about themselves or their own interest, they cease to lead 
But when they think about the interest of the master, when they think about the interest of others based on what the, what the ultimate authority wants, that's when all of a sudden, so, so, so for example, we could save so many problems today in our culture. I mean, many CEOs, they continue to line their pockets for bigger, more corporate companies rather than thinking about using those profits uh, in a way that enhances the business or, or um, um, you know, potentially even enhances employees. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, if we would have that shift, you know, a big business, it was interesting real quick on this. I didn't even write this in the book, but there's been a, there was a study that was done years ago about trust of different aspects of, of, of um, uh, different organizations. And you know what, who, who's trusted the most of everybody else in the world? Small businesses in general are trusted about 79, by, by about 79% of the people. So people love and resonate with a small business because they can talk to the owner, they trust the owner, then that they know the owner, they is not making millions and millions of dollars. Most small businesses uh, just make a little bit of profit, but they, but they trust that owner. Big businesses, on the other hand, was only rated about 22% of the trust level. Why? Because big businesses look like they're greedy. They're all about the next dollar. They're all about making more money. And they've forgotten what the purpose of business was, which is to serve people. And so I just think this parable really puts it in reflection for every leader, no matter where we sit in the organization, that we do have a limited amount of time and we better use it wisely. That's all great. Look, and uh, as you're telling that study, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my bias that's going to come out here. Uh, I can think of the Gallup studies where they talked about confidence in, uh, US, uh, in the leaders in the, mil- in the U.S. And, and, and from my memory of those stories, it was always the military leaders and police officers were on top. And then, of course, yes, I agree with you that small businesses were way up there. Hey, now, look, one other thing that everybody um, may not have heard from, if you haven't listened to last week's show, Ken has a master of in divinity. And uh, I say that because he is able to understand context very well. And it's extremely important for whatever you're doing. And, you know, I've learned some things about passages that I've read, you know, dozens of times easily. And then when Ken shares his perspective on it, because he has a better background, um, it's just fantastic. Now, look, um, I'm going to ask you one more question because we got to get ready to go to break and I don't want to get into the next area. Um, but I'm glad we spent so much time on stewardship. And do you have any examples that you would be comfortable sharing quick anecdotes of stories where you, everything you just discussed about steward leadership and, uh, and that power that passage from Luke where business owners, you've been able to help them in a certain way. And if not, that's okay. We'll go ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, I think again, when we think about the concept of steward leader, versus servant leader. And again, I love servant leaders, but just for the steward leadership perspective, it really is thinking about, um, you know, is this something that uh, as we, as we pray about it and we think about it, is it something that the master would want? So, I mean, uh, just recently is another example. I have a business that um, uh, it's a small business, but they're growing and growing pretty efficiently and effectively. So they're looking into 2020 and, beyond and and they're making a decision and about uh, uh, buying a, a piece of property to move their business at right now they're leasing an, an organization or leasing a building and so you know what they did was they brought it to one of the CEO retreat days that um, that they attend with about 12 to 15 other CEOs and we were able to discuss that I call those case stories it's modeling the parable of uh, Jesus here it's basically an opportunity to talk about a real story in their business. And so they brought it up and then jointly we begin to pray about it and ask God, is this the place for you? Long story short, 
I mean, it's a great story because what ended up happening was they found the perfect land, the perfect building that they were looking for because the, we believe the team was praying about it. They uh, offered a, a reasonable offer, but it wasn't an outstanding offer. The leaders, the owners wanted to sell, and now they're getting ready to move into this new uh, location. And I believe it was because they systematically went through it. And they would tell me that they've looked for years or thought about it for years to find a particular building, but never, ever showed up. But all of a sudden, when they took a stewardship perspective, all of a sudden, all the green lights happened, and now they're being able to position their business for either great, for even greater success moving forward. But they did it from a stewardship perspective. Well, that, that's great. And I, I've witnessed some of that with Ken and uh, his teams. And uh, look, I'll tell you that's, uh, you know, to just summarize what that is all about. It's, it's essentially the power of community in a mastermind group. Well, look, we've been talking with Ken Gosnell about his upcoming book, Well Done, coming out in early 2020. And we're going to take a break and we're going to pick everything up right when we come back. And we are going to talk about the next chapter, which is about the uh, parable of the sower. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Well, welcome back. Thank you. And we've been speaking with Ken Gosnell, the author of a 
2020 book coming out early next year called Well Done. And it's about the central premise is about what we've been speaking about this first half an hour, which was the parable of the talents. And during that conversation, we've talked about a number of things to include how he works with his um, entrepreneurs, which are essentially a mastermind group, if you will, and the power of community where these business leaders are sharing ideas with one another. And he's got this broken out into three different parts, proclamations, parables, and practices. And we've been talking about parables today, and we're going to continue talking about parables. And in chapter six, he talks about the, the law of sowing and reaping. And I'll just read you quickly the verse, and I'll let Ken talk about it. And in the, the summary is in Matthew 13, verse 8, and the sentence essentially goes like this. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. And that inspired Ken to write an entire chapter. So go ahead, Ken. What do you want to know, us to know about chapter six? Well, you know, I think the parable of the sower, what's called the parable of the sower is a fantastic business principle for us to understand because it talks about the seed and the harvest. And, you know, the parable of the sower is a reminder that there are seed that we plant. And in this case, we can plant on a daily basis. We don't always know what the harvest is going to bring or when the harvest is going to come, but one seed can produce a result of 30, 60, or 100 fold. And it's a reminder, again, for us as business owners to make sure that we're planting the right seed. Are we working on the right products? Are we treating our customers in the right way? Are we developing a culture with our employees that we're doing something today, we're planting the seed that could potentially uh, produce a harvest for our company uh, for, for, for many years in the future. Let me give you one just quick example of this. So, you know, when you think about an employee uh, that is working hard for you as a company or, and to recognize them and to, to write a note um, or even to see them outside of work with their family and to spend a few minutes with them and to say, hey, this is an important uh, employee that's part of our company. I'm proud to have this employee on the team. And you say that in front of their children or in front of their wife or, or husband, whoever, whichever the case might be. Well, that, you've just invested a seed in that employee, and that employee might stay with you for five or 10 or 20 or 30 years and produce a great harvest. And so for leaders to think about what seed am I planting today and that the seeds that I'm planting can have the potential to produce a great crop does, again, change our perspective about the work that we do. You know, th this is where uh, I don't disagree with you, but I want to share with you how I interpreted some of the, what you were discussing there. And, and you may talk about this in a different chapter, but, but essentially, when you say you invested in the seed, here's what, I, here's what I look at it, because I'm into leadership development. I really think you're, to, to go with the parable and the analogy is this, I think you're tilling the soil, you're fertilizing the soil, you're making the soil so rich that that is going to be the type of soil that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. So um, that story that you shared, I guess I just look at it slightly differently and maybe it's not differently, but uh, I want to hear your, your feedback on my comments. Well, I do think that the soil is really critical. I talk about that. Um, in order for the seed to produce the best crop, it has to be in the right soil. And I actually uh, talk about a, a book called Rich Soil in the, in the book. I reference it a little bit. And so I do believe you're right on that cultivating that soil. What I would also say, though, is that sometimes we don't always know the soil. You know, when you're in the marketplace, if you think about it from a business perspective, 
Um, I don't know if the soil is ripe for my particular product or service. Now I can do an environmental scan. I can, I can analyze and I can process that. I believe the soil is prepared and the soil is right. But my job as a steward is again to go and plant the seed. And in the parable of the sower, he actually had seed that fell on the rocks and he had seed that fell on the, the path. And then he had seed that fell into the soil. And so he was diligent in what he was doing, which is why he was planting all of those seeds. Some of those seeds took hold and it wasn't even all the seed that he had. Some of those seeds took hold and produced that crop. And so that's where I would say it's our job as a leader Sometimes we don't always know the result that of what we do. We just know that this is the, what the call that we've been asked to do. And so whether it's that project or whether that it's a person that we're dealing with, and we better plant seed that day. We better do a good job of uh, planting, um, you know, working diligently in the fields to plant the seed that we've been given because we believe that it will produce the crop in, in the future. Right. Now, you know, I, I have a feeling we're going to spend a lot of time in this chapter as well. So I, I want to I remind the audience uh, again of context and your frame of mind when you're reading something. And, you know, so Ken and I have a different uh, perspective on it. And neither of them are incorrect. Both of them actually share, shed different light on the message you're going to uh, take away. And so when you're reading whatever you're reading, um, you can go in with two different frames of mind and you can walk away with two entirely different messages. And when Ken's talking about the, um, uh, he talks about four facts about business sowing and reaping. And he, he refers to, you should plant widely. And, and I'll give you a quote that he uses, um, or he's, excuse me, it's not a quote, it's from the Second Corinthians. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I'll let him comment on that. And one more thing, Ken, that is, you talk about in these four facts about business sowing and reaping, uh, that every business should plant widely. And you ask these two questions, do they have good seed? And meaning, I believe the people and are they planting in good soil? And from your perspective, you're talking about customer service and marketing. And from my perspective, I was thinking about soil being good in terms of developing your leaders. So what are your thoughts and comments on all of that? Yeah, it can be, can be both. I also think it can be products as well. I mean, good seed can be, are, are we producing the best products to bring into the marketplace? But my, my, my take on the whole planting widely is as I look at the parable of the sower, again, he saw this field. He, he covered every part of it, even onto the pathway in some different places. But it shows that he was getting to the edge. I don't necessarily think that the sower was trying to plant on the pathway. He obviously knew that wasn't going to produce result. But I do think he was getting as far out as possible on that particular field. See, now, and, right there, I think, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but right there, I never, ever looked at it that way. Um, he was sowing it, it was getting to the edge. Thank you for sharing that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I think from a small business perspective, sometimes we think about our small market and we don't think about a bigger, wider, uh, broader approach. And I think social media and, and the internet has helped with that from a small business perspective. But, you know, even um, um, having it in such a way that we say, hey, this is coming to market and I want to touch as many people as possible mostly because of my spiritual influence that I, the more people that I potentially touch, the more that I can please the master or shine my light for him. But it's also good business. It's a good business strategy. Can I go a little bit further? Can I touch more people? Can I broadcast more broadly to the marketplace? Can I use social media to, to talk about um, and, and, and build a relationship 
with, with people. But let me give you just one quick example of that. So my wife and I recently took a trip or, uh, last year um, out to uh, Arizona. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, one of the things when we do uh, trips like that, my wife likes to shop at, she doesn't like necessarily big stores. She likes small businesses. And so she likes to shop at some uh, women's boutique stores uh, and doesn't buy a whole lot, but every once in a while. So we found this wonderful boutique store. It was right by a restaurant that we were eating at. And so we walked in and it was a wonderful business owner. She had been in business probably three or four years. And my wife just fell in love with the store. I mean, it was just the store, like one of the best stores that she'd ever been in. That was just the stuff that she just really kind of fit her style and it was just perfect. So I asked the business owner, I said, well, um, you know, do you have an online presence or is there a way that we can buy stuff from afar? Cause we're out in the Washington DC area, we're halfway across the country. And she responds and she says, no, you know, I only sell here locally. I don't have anything that's, uh, you know, on, on an online presence along those lines. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, that's fine. I mean, that's her decision and her choice. But my point was that here she is, she, she has a customer, she has a believer, she has a fan, right? Mm-hmm. And, and my yeah. wife, my wife, and I could buy Christmas presents from this woman, I mean, whatever for my wife, you know, halfway across the country. And it wouldn't take that much for her to open that up to be on online or to have a store that other people could reach so that maybe people that come into her store, if they move away, wherever they might be, could all of a sudden be touched by her products. And the point of it is, and I'm not, I'm not just uh, looking at that particular business. I work with, you know, hundreds of business owners that have that same mentality that sometimes we think too small. And if we can think about it from a broader perspective, yes, work locally, but also broadcast nationally, that all of a sudden we might open up markets to us that we never dreamed possible in the past. And so I think, and I get that out of the parable of the, of the sower. Right. Now, look, that, uh, that feeds in very well to your next chapter, which is essentially about dreams. But I want to finish up with one thing on chapter six, excuse me, where you quote Robert Louis Stevenson. And, you, and the quote is, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but the seeds you plant. Um, if you want to comment, go ahead. If not, we're going to move into chapter seven. Yeah, I just think the daily activities of a business owner, I, I call them a lot of times wins. One of the things that we do at our CEO retreats is we do a win wall, but it is about planting seeds. It's about the good things that have happened. And I do love that quote that, it, again, it changes the perspective. Sometimes we look at results and results are important, but it's also, I believe, about activity. When I judged the sales, I used to lead sales teams for a national organization and um when I would look at the sales team, sometimes you could look at results, but sometimes it's just more important to even look at activity. It looks at the seeds that they're planting. And I think, again, when God looks at us, results are important, don't get me wrong, but when we're so results-driven, sometimes we forget that the seeds, the activities that we do, that's actually the genius, I believe, of the success that sets us up. It's doing those daily tasks that God's asked us to do or that we know is important as a leader, um, those are the daily seeds that we're planting. And I love that quote by Robert Louis Stevenson, where he basically says, hey, don't look at your results. Just look at, are you planting the right seeds today? Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and that doesn't apply just for entrepreneurs. It applies for, you know, when I think back to early in my career in leadership development, how, you know, we were taught to, um, 
you know, a lot of this is going to have to be self-study. You, you have to plant those seeds and you have to do the work and whatever it's going to take to help you learn and grow. And, you know, one of the quotes that I, I like and I think about quite often is it's the journey, not the destination. So with that, let's move into chapter seven, where you title it, Believe and Ask for the Impossible. And the quote that you use to start off that chapter is from Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. Or excuse me, with God, all things are possible. And, um, you know, another thing that you have right there before you start off that chapter is you say people can do the impossible when someone believes it is it is possible. And I, I thought of the corollary where, hey, people who dream the impossible do the impossible. So what are your thoughts on dreaming and, you know, achieving great things and all that good stuff? Yeah, I believe that, again, this is an important aspect for business and especially businesses that are led by faith-driven leaders. You know, sometimes we don't accomplish more because we don't think that more can be accomplished. And the reality is when a leader stands up and says, hey, I believe we can do this. Um, and there's many examples of this in history, whether it's Walt Disney and having challenging the Imagineers to think about a new ride or a new uh, production for a, a movie that was coming out to... Even Jeff Bezos, we've talked about him getting things delivered within an hour, right? Uh, Elon Musk is a good example today about flying cars and believing the impossible. And, and we look at these guys and we say, hey, they're visionary. They believe things. They dream things. But I think that's the role of every leader. That It may not be that big of a dream, but all of a sudden if we could think about, hey, can I get more market share in my area for my business? Could I hire five more employees? Could I have a dream that I want to build a million dollar business or a hundred million dollar business or a 500 million dollar, wherever that is on the scale. It's all of a sudden believing it and communicating. I just had an example of a, of a company that, that I worked with that um, they had been stagnant for, for, for many years. And all of a sudden the leader came in and said, Hey, I want to double this business in the next five years, next five to seven years. And everybody thought he was silly. How could we, we've been stagnant. We've reached our peak. We've been at this level, but all of a sudden he believed it. Well, sure enough, as they put the budget together for 2020, they had doubled their business in the last five years. Why? Because the leader believed it was possible. And so I just think that this is a really critical skill for leaders that we don't think about. We just go about, we try to enhance or refine what we're doing, but all of a sudden could, could part of the role of a leader could be part of our evolving leadership journey to use your phraseology to think about that I've been placed in this role because I need to have a bigger dream. I need to think about what seems impossible and try to communicate that to my team and push our team to do the impossible. And of course, from our faith perspective, we do it with the equation of God in the picture that we know that nothing is impossible with God. So we could set a big dream and say, God, help us to accomplish this. And then God gets the credit because he is the one that's given us that dream. And he's one that helped us to accomplish that vision and purpose for our business. You know, I'm not sure. This could be, well, either my favorite or second favorite chapter in your book. In uh, yeah, my, my favorite. <laughs> your favorite? It is, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm thinking chapter five, the the this the central or the core of your book. Well, that's good. I mean, we're great minds think alike. What can I say? Um, well, look, you know, one of the things he just said to, to paraphrase or summarize is he says the what the if the leader believes it just they become inspirational and I would encourage everyone who's out there wanting to lead is to to dream those big dreams and like Ken said now look we probably have time for two more of his chapters at most and we definitely want to talk about chapter 12 but the last chapter on parables he talks to, to about building to the fourth generation 
never heard that concept before. But I'll, I'll uh, kick it off with Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 25, where he, he captures this uh, passage. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. So, Ken, what's the, the core of that chapter, and what are you communicating there? Well, I think of that parable, it talks about something that is going to last. And I think when I look at God's kingdom and what's, you know, that it's lasted for 2,000 years and will continue to last, God is into longevities and division. And I look at the state of business, and we know that most businesses don't last past the first business owner, that most businesses uh, are lucky to last maybe 15 or 20 years, that only a small percentage, something like 30% or so, get passed on to a second generation. And then it drops down to about 13% that drove to a third generation. But when I look at the Bible and I see the vision of it, and I say, well, if I'm going to build something, I should build it to last. I should be like the parable of the rock. And I think there's many examples in there. Um, I looked into the Old Testament uh, and quoted a passage where um, Moses is talking about to the people, and it tells us that God's promises are for a thousand generations. That tells you how long his vision is. He does give a punishment to the fourth generation. In the book of Job, if you look at the end of the book of Job, it tells us that God gave Job a blessing to the fourth generation. When he came back and he lost everything and he got everything back, God says to Job at the very last verse of the book of Job, it says that he'll bless him to the fourth generation. So there's this fourth generation mentality. And basically what that looks like, if you look at four generations, that's a hundred year business. And so I want to challenge every business owner to think about, am I building a hundred year business? Am I building something that could last a um, hundred years? Could I pass it on to four generations of my family? And I think when we have a business perspective, a, a four generation business perspective, it, it'll change the decisions that we make. We And the challenge that I say in the book is that sometimes business owners, we think too short-sighted. We make something today because we don't think it's going to be that big a deal. But all of a sudden, if we think about, hey, somebody in the four generation is going to look back at this decision that I'm making today. Are they going to look at, they're going to tell the story of here's why I made this decision and how I enhanced this business. But great businesses last. I mean, JCPenney is a good example of that lasted over a hundred years uh, in business. And I could go on and on about that, but I just think it's important to have that four generation thinking as we go to build the business that God's given us to build. Thanks, Ken. You know, we're running out of time. We, we've covered probably eight of the chapters and uh, there are certainly four more to go. One question from a LinkedIn user I want to ask you and squeeze it in, then we'll talk about chapter 12. He writes, in John verses, uh, chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus prays to the Father and says, I have brought you glory on earth. I have completed the work you have given me to do. Glory, in quotes, in Hebrew is kabod, which means weightlessness. What does glory mean and look like in the context of leadership in business? How does a Christian CEO sustain a life such leadership of glory? If you would, share that your response to the audience, to our listeners. Yeah, I love that question about glory. And actually, I work with a company called Jacobod in Frederick, Maryland, that um, Jacobod means, and the business owners named that company Jacobod because they wanted to reflect God's glory. And uh, so it's right there on the name of the company. It's right so that everybody can see it. And what I would say, and, and that company has done a great job of embodying 
what it means to bring God's glory to the marketplace. It's the glory of how they treat their employees. It's glory about their values as a company, how they build their products, um, how they uh, deal with their customers and how they handle their financial situation. So, you know, I think glory can, can be a part of every leader um, and God's glory specifically when they're thinking about how would God want me to handle this particular situation and make decisions in their company, maybe even in their name, that reflects that we're doing this t- to honor God. I challenge a lot of business owners to write that into the mission statement. I challenge a lot of business owners to think about how they're using their finances in their company and are they doing it for God's glory. But that simple arbiter, if you will, that question, would God be pleased with that or pleased with this, I think is a great question that leads us to how do we bring God's glory in the marketplace. Great. Now, look, we have just a few minutes remaining. So, Ken, uh, I want to give you two whole minutes. I'm sorry for Chapter 12. Um, you, you've, you say Chapter 12 is titled Work to Well Done, and you say well done. Those are, these are, those are the two of the most powerful words in the English language. It's, kind of, it's how you start your book off. Um, tell us what you want the listeners to know about why that's so important. Yeah, I finished the book with some practices that I saw in Jesus. And one of those practices is what I would say, work to well done. So Jesus is on the cross, and the very last words that he speaks is, it is finished. And I just love those words because it brings to completion his ministry, his mission. He believes that he's done everything that he's been asked to do. And then in Matthew chapter 28, he goes on to tell his disciples, he says, go into the nations and preach and teach, uh, baptizing people in the name of Jesus, my name in the name of the Holy Spirit. And he gives them this mission. And basically what I'm saying, what I believe he's telling the disciples to do is work to well done. Go do your work till it's finished. Do everything that you can to bring it to completion. So that at the end of your life, when, you, when, you're, when you're done, maybe you're not hanging on the cross, but when you, when you stand before your maker, you can say, man, I did everything that I could. I worked as hard out. I worked as diligently as I could. I made the right decisions, and it's finished. I did everything according to what my master would want. And I just think that perspective, again, when I lay down on the bed at night, when I put my head on the pillow, you know, I think about that I finished today. And, you know, I'm... I worry about a lot of business owners and business leaders that don't finish well. They don't complete it. They, either they don't build their family well or they don't build their business well. And I just think it's important for us to have that perspective of, hey, I'm a finisher and I'm going to finish this task today and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability so that I can say at the end, it's finished and I, I've worked to well done. You know, that's great advice because I, I don't think I'm the only one here, but I'm struggling with some loose ends that I really want to tie up. And uh, in hearing that, it, it just helps me um, want to push that ball over the goal line for those of you who are football fans, uh, American football fans, because we've got listeners all over the world. Now, look, I, I just, Ken, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us for not just one, but two sessions and uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, I mentioned it in the beginning of the first show that uh, full disclosure, I work with Ken or I will be working with Ken and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that because he's been very uh, influential to me and, uh, and a great mentor, if you will. So thanks, Ken. Um, I'm going to close by saying I really appreciated it and just share with the listeners that next week we're going to be speaking with Stephen and Mara Klemek from the UK, and they're going to talk about their new book coming out in 2020, Above the Line, and it's based on the Heart Styles 
not an assessment. This is different for me because I use assessments, but a leadership development tool. So I'm very much looking forward to that discussion. And it also ties in with the, um, the September session episode I did with Charles Coetzer on um, leading business beyond profit is, was his book. So if you want to look that up, um, please look in that and I look forward to having you listen with us next week. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. All right, everyone have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to your evolving leadership journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific time and 9 a.m. Eastern time on the voice America business channel and have a great week.